0: is Hebrews really about losing your salvation? Can a Christian's sin be more powerful than Christ's finished work, thus negating that work on his behalf? Welcome to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos, and I'm so glad to be able to share these times together as we dig into the greatest source of truth of all, God's Word, the Bible. And right now we're in the midst of a powerful uh, series called Hebrews, the Glory of the New Covenant. Today we are picking up our study uh, back in chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Before we begin there though, um, for decades I believed and actually taught that a Christian could lose their salvation. And I based this on primarily on a few verses here and there, particularly two different parts in the book of Hebrews, Uh, Hebrews chapter six, verses four through eight, which we'll look at in just a few minutes, and Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31. Now, folks, I use just 11 verses out of 303 verses in Hebrews to try to prove that a person, a Christian could lose their salvation. And yet the overwhelming majority of those 303 verses in Hebrews speak of not our failure, not of losing one's salvation, but of the perfection of Jesus Christ and his finished perfect work on our behalf. You know, it's interesting that right next to those scary verses in Hebrews 6, 4 to 8 and Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31 are some of the most amazing verses of the perfection of our salvation. And that's the point. Do we have a perfect salvation or do we not? You know, according to the Bible, a perfect salvation means that the effects of it, the benefits of it, last forever. While an imperfect salvation means that the effects of such a salvation and the benefits of it are only temporary. Hebrews is all about a perfect Savior giving us a perfect salvation. And that's very important to keep in mind as we move forward. It's also very important that we remember a few things. And I've said this before in this series, and I'm going to say it again right here. Who is the epistle of Hebrews directed to? Well, it was originally written for Hebrews, for Jews. And they were people who had ample reason to trust in the law and the old covenant sacrifices. But again, what is Hebrews all about? Hebrews is about Jesus as perfect son, perfect author and finisher of our perfect salvation, perfect great high priest, perfect sacrifice with perfect blood, infinitely better than animal sacrifices. Jesus as perfect performer of the law covenant, thus perfectly fulfilling it and settling it. Hebrews is about the new covenant, which is a covenant of grace. It is a covenant that is based on the perfect performance of Jesus Christ already accomplished, not our weak, pitiful performance. It's about the new covenant, which is based upon Christ's perfect righteousness, not our stinky righteousness. So what is the larger context of Hebrews? What is Hebrews at large all about? Well, again, context, context, context. Beyond those 11 scary verses in Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews is not a treatise about losing your salvation. But it's all about how great... A salvation that we have made possible by a great high priest, our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's the difference between a Jew's point of stumbling versus a Gentile's point of stumbling. The Jews struggles with the law, the priests, the temple, the temple sacrifices. Meanwhile, the Gentile has no clue about the law, the priests, the temple, and the temple sacrifices. You see, it's so easy for us to get stuck on these five scary verses here in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 8, and completely ignore the rest of Hebrews. We don't want to do that. So, I want to deal squarely with the warning that comes up in this passage of scripture and let's go ahead and read in hebrews chapter 6 beginning in verse 4 and as we do let's take a few moments and pray father god we thank you so much for your wonderful word the bible and father we thank you for jesus the perfect son the perfect sacrifice our perfect uh, savior and lord as we go to your word We recognize that this is not the words of man, but it is the Word of God, the eternal Word of God. It is the revelation of you, your heart, and your purposes. So, Father God, we pray that you, by the Holy Spirit, would take the words of your Scripture, your Word, and open up our understanding, Lord. Turn that light on of revelation and illumination Lord, help us to see more clearly Jesus and his finished work accomplished for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to to open up right now to Hebrews chapter 6. We're going to begin in verse 4. For it is impossible... For the earth, which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Well, that's the first part of the text uh, for today in Hebrews chapter six, and those are very serious verses. But we have to ask the very important question, this is clearly a warning, but who is this warning for? Who is this warning aimed at? Well, first of all, in verse four, it says this, it begins with the word for, and there is, uh, what this tells us is, this is the connecting point between the previous three verses, which we studied last time about the immaturity of some believers, those who were relying upon their own uh, works righteousness rather than on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and becoming not only spiritually dull of hearing, but also spiritually immature. But the four here in this verse says that there is no reason to continue on to spiritual maturity in the case of those who have not experienced real salvation. Those folks aren't even spiritual babes. They're spiritually dead. And see, the problem with those kind of folks is they just keep receiving, but never responding in faith. In the case of some, they will never repent of dead works and turn in faith toward God. Well, as we try to figure out who uh, this warning is aimed at in verses four through eight, uh, let's List some of the characteristics that are found in these verses of the type of person that is being warned in these verses. First of all, in verse 4a, it says that they have been enlightened. And then it says also in verse 4 that, uh, and in f- verse 5 that they are um, tasters. They are tasters only of the heavenly gift verse 4, of the good word of God, verse 5, of the powers of the age to come. You know, it's one thing for someone to taste. It's another thing for a person to taste and to swallow. I can put food in my mouth and I can taste it all the day long, but it'll have absolutely no benefit to me for life unless I swallow the food. These people have been continuously Uh, receiving they have been enlightened they are tasters only it says that they have been partakers of the holy spirit and then it also talks about in this passage like land that continuously receives rain so these are people who just continuously are receiving these good things from god now in verse six it says this if if they fall away Do you see that? Verse six. It's what they are doing is it says here in the passage, they crucify again for themselves, the son of God. It also says that they put him to open shame and they do it publicly. Now, folks, this is a pretty serious thing. I mean, look at those three things. They're crucifying again for themselves, the son of God. They're putting him to open shame shame and you notice that they are doing this publicly Um, one commentator speaking about the idea behind the greek word of fall away says that this is an entire and willful apostasy the hebrews had not yet so fallen away but The writer of Hebrews warns them that such would be the final result of retrogression if instead of going on to perfection, they should need to learn again the first principles of Christianity. So the word that's behind this term, fall away, is a very serious matter. It also says that these people are bearing no good fruit. You see it in verses 7 and 8? All they do is they bear thorns and briars. And the result or the fruit of those who constantly receive the truth and the good things of God, yet never personally put their faith in Christ, and if they fall away. Do you see how these things are connecting dots? These people are continuously receiving. They're not putting their personal faith. And also, this is not an, an, an or case, and if they fall away. You know, it can be hard for us who are true believers in Christ to really begin to understand a situation of someone who could, at least to our view, seem to be hearing the word. They even seem to be believing. And so. And yet there can be still this possibility of a person who can seem to hear and seem to believe, so-called, that something is true. But that isn't genuine saving faith in Christ. In James chapter 2, verse 19, it says this, You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. James two nineteen In 1 John chapter 2, verses 19 to 23, it says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is of the truth who is a liar but he who denies that jesus is the christ he is antichrist who denies the father and the son whoever denies the son does not have the father either he who acknowledges the son um, has the father also again that's in first john chapter 2 verses 19 to 23 and again i just want to underline that statement but they went out Um, that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Verse 19 says they went out from us, but they were not of us. And that can be a very alarming thing. You can have an individual who's, who's in the midst of church. They could be singing in the choir. They may even be teaching Sunday school. But if it's something that's just merely head knowledge, if there hasn't been a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the perfection of his person and his finished work, then that person is still in a lost condition. And again, we're talking about who are these verses, verses four through eight in Hebrews six aimed at, this per, There's a person surely being described in which the case is that it is impossible for them to be renewed to repentance. We also see, as we're observing in the scripture verse, that these people uh, are those who apparently never believe and receive Jesus Christ himself. John one twelve uh, speaks of the real saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So you can see that if a person does not actually believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in his name, if they don't receive him by faith, then they're not saved. They're not really born again. There is not spiritual life. Again, in the context of these folks spoken of and warned to in Hebrews chapter six, verses four through eight. Here's the key to understand this. These people, this person has had lots of the word of God. Even the work of the Holy Spirit has been raining upon them. And yet they never put personal saving faith in the savior, Jesus Christ. And additionally, those people utterly fall away and that's important that there are those two conditions one the type of person that's just received and received and received and they've not put personal faith in jesus christ Um, that may be you and i don't want to create a situation of fear where you think i can never be brought to repentance again no there also has to be this utter falling away this total and final rejection of jesus christ so you should hear the warning If you've not received the Lord Jesus Christ, and there are numerous warnings in Hebrews that address this, there is no other way by which we may be saved, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on this Savior, this perfect Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in his finished work on your behalf right now. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. Now, maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, well, Mark, I can't imagine a person that um, would receive the word of God, you know, that they would be enlightened, that they would taste the heavenly gift, that they would become partakers of the Holy Spirit and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. I can't imagine anybody but a Christian that would fit that example. Well, actually, let me give you two examples of individuals who fit all of that and yet were hardly saved. The first person I'd like to bring up as Exhibit A is none other than Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that Judas was one of the twelve, one of the closest disciples to the Lord Jesus. I mean, he heard more of the teaching of of the Lord Jesus Christ than most people did. He constantly heard the word of God straight from Jesus' mouth in person. Judas Iscariot fed thousands miraculously. He did, remember? He was one of those disciples that passed out the fish and the loaves of bread that multiplied. Judas went out and did miracles and cast out demons as recorded along with the other disciples in Luke 10. And along with those other disciples, Judas had authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, Luke 10, 19, because Jesus gave him that authority. Uh, and then in Luke 10, 20, uh, it says that the spirits were subject to him. And in Luke 10, 9, it says that Judas, along with the other disciples, healed the sick. Well, what about those Uh, Here's another example of those who are in this category. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 to 23, there are those who call Jesus Lord and even do miracles, yet don't know him at all in a saving personal way. Let me read the text, Matthew 7, beginning in verse 22. Jesus is speaking and says this, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Wow. That's in Matthew chapter seven, verses 22 to 23. So why is it impossible to renew to repentance a person who is just like Judas, for instance, constantly had the word of God over and over again experienced and even was a part of the working of the Holy Spirit, was even used of God, and also completely fall away. Why is it impossible? Impossible to renew that kind of person to repentance, because they never believed in Christ and there is no other hope of salvation they have rejected god's only remedy his blessed son the lord jesus christ i want to point out one more thing i and many others have used this text to christians to say you can lose your salvation and sort of intrinsic in what we we you know people like that say is this idea so um and you can get it back, but you see right here in Hebrews chapter six it says it is impossible for those to be renewed to repentance. Impossible means just that it means impossible. And so we need to be um, fair to the text. We need to be fair of the context um, that's there. Someone once said that a text without context is pretext. Boy, that's certainly true in the case of this passage right here. And again, dear friend, I want to do, even as the um, spirit inspired author of Hebrews did, if you have not personally believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, salvation is not of you. Salvation is totally of the Lord Jesus Christ based on the perfection of his person and the perfection of his perfect work. When he did it all at Calvary, he did it all for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, here's another thing where we see by virtue of context, beginning in verse nine, that um, verses um, four through Eight are not addressed to a Christian, but to an unsaved person. So let's read Hebrews chapter six, beginning in verse nine. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each of one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Well, right there. I love what it says at the very beginning of verse nine, confident of better things concerning you. You see, the person now being spoken of in verses nine through 12 is a very different type of person than that described in verses four through eight. So what's the difference? Well, first of all, uh, in verse nine there, it says, but beloved, we are confident of Better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation. The first word is beloved. That is used only of those who are in Christ. Remember what it says over in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are accepted in the beloved? And then it says we are confident, in other words, we have absolutely no doubt of better things concerning you. You see, for the believer, we have a better outcome. And that outcome is something that inexorably accompanies salvation. We can see that in the life of the person described in verses 9 through 12, that real salvation has indeed taken place. And because that real salvation has taken place, there are good things that naturally go along with it. And this is that great salvation that's spoken of in Hebrews 2.3, you see, it is a package deal. When a person truly places their faith and confidence in Jesus Christ and his finished work, there are things that happen as a result of that saving faith. That's a package deal. It's all together. Now in verse 10, it says this, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Again, what's going on in the the type of person that's being addressed in these verses nine through 12, as opposed to the other person mentioned in verses four through eight. Well, we can see that this person has a, a a fruitful life. As John and James point out in their epistles, real faith results in real love, in the case of John's epistle, and real works, as we see in the epistle of James. Remember what it says over in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10? It says that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance that we should do. See, these are some of the things that accompany salvation. So what we see in the life of a person who is truly saved by the grace of God, there really is some things that go along with it. Now, I just want to stop for a moment. Dear Christian, this is not talking about someone with a perfect life, okay? This isn't talking about perfect performance, but there is evidence in that person's Life, of real spiritual life. There is a true love for the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a true love for the body of Christ. Does that mean that that person perfectly performs all the time in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, unfortunately not. And is that person always loving to others? Well, unfortunately not. But there is something deep down that moves them forward in growth in the things of the Lord. Going to verses 11 and 12 in Hebrews 6, it says this, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now, this thing, these verses is really anchored in this phrase that says full assurance of hope until the end. That sort of the anchor point in these and really the following verses. First of all, full assurance is just one Greek word, and Vines defines that Greek word as this in this particular context the freedom of mind and confidence resulting from an understanding in Christ, the engrossing effect of the expectation of the fulfillment of God's promises. That's the full assurance that's being spoken of here in verse 11. And yet it's not just full assurance. It's a full assurance of hope, right? Now, whenever we use the word hope, we have to clarify things. We're not talking about hope like the world uses it. You know, the uh, says things like, uh, well, Hmm, I hope so. I hope it doesn't rain today. Or, well, I hope I can get this done. Or, oh, I hope I get a good grade. Or, I hope I win the lottery. No, biblical hope is something about being fully convinced that what God has promised, he is also able to perform. That's in Romans 4.21. This is the kind of faith and hope that Abraham had. And this is described in greater depth than uh romans chapter 4 verses 13 through 25 hope really has uh, its faith in the future tense Uh, romans chapter 5 verse 5 says this now hope does not disappoint because the love of god has been poured out in our hearts by the holy spirit who was given to us so we have this full assurance this confidence, this freedom of mind uh, that's based upon God's faithfulness, his integrity, and his promises. And that, it's a full assurance of hope. Now, in these two verses, verses 11 and 12, it speaks in verse 11 of showing the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. And then in verse 12, an admonition not to become sluggish. So let's talk a little bit about this idea of sluggishness versus diligence. You know, the, um, the exhortation against sluggishness logically means that there is apparently a tendency to become sluggish. Um, the Amplified uh, sort of brings out a, a dimension of understanding of what the word means, sluggishness. Uh, here in Hebrews, it says to grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards. Now, notice, please, the sluggishness on the one hand and the the diligence in full assurance of the other. We're not talking about, when we talk about sluggishness, it's not necessarily, oh, I'm lazy and I'm not praying enough, or I'm lazy and I'm not reading my Bible enough. Again, it's this sort of attitude of the mind where we just sort of zone out when it comes to the Lord and the things of the Lord. Um... You know, being diligent to pursue him, uh, engaging actively in that relationship with the Lord. That's the idea of this sluggishness that is brought out here. And yet the, the sluggishness happens as the result of something. Again, it's not because we're lazy because of laziness sake or we're lazy or we're sluggish because of laziness sake. The sluggishness happens here when we don't have full assurance of hope or when we don't know about the full assurance of hope that we already have in Christ. I've noticed that in my own life. I can sort of put my life in a bit of cruise control, and I really feel that that sort of attitude of cruise control is a bit like this sluggishness. When I really lose sight of the wonder of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfection of the Lord Jesus, and his finished work, That breeds in me this sort of... Maybe cruise control is not the best way to put it. It's kind of like coasting. And so the admonition here is talking... And again, let's look at this in Hebrews 6, 11 and 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Let's take a look at this faith and patience and notice that it is both faith and patience. You see, it's faith not just for a moment, but it's faith over the long haul, moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. You know, over in Hebrews chapter 11, we'll be getting their lessons later, but some have called Hebrews 11 the faith hall of fame. There were many examples of faith who had to wait to inherit the promises. That is a consistent message that just keeps coming up over and over again in Hebrews. Continue in faith. Continue through. uh, Continue through even difficult circumstances. Persevere. Be steadfast. The Greek for patience means patient endurance. Here's Hebrews 6.12 in the Amplified. In order that you may not grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards, but imitators, behaving as do those who through faith, by their leaning of the entire personality on God in Christ, in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness, and by practice of patient endurance and waiting, are now inheriting the promises. Again, that's verse 12 in the Amplified. And of course, there is the importance of the necessity of faith. The Bible says, The just shall live by faith that's in hebrews 2 4 romans 1 17 galatians 3 11, and hebrews 10 38 the necessity of faith The just shall live by faith it says in hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to please god for those who come to him notice that personal faith going to Jesus, must believe that he is, and he is the rewarder of them which diligently seek him. You see, faith is absolutely essential to the Christian life, the successful Christian life. In fact, did you know that the language of faith is used in the New Testament 677 times? That's amazing. 677 times the words faith, Believe, trust, hope come up. Obviously, in the mind of God, faith is terrifically important. And yet, let me tell you this this kind of faith is not something we achieve or strive for. You know, we can say, okay, oh boy, I really want to have that kind of faith. Yes, I can see that the just shall live by faith oh, I, I I have to try, I have to struggle, I have to strive, or how do I get this faith? Look, this faith is a gift from God. And this is not a human kind of faith. This is a God kind of faith that comes from the grace of God. It's not something future tense. This is a faith that engages right now where you're at. And you see, this wonderful faith from God, which is a gift to every single believer, not down the road, but when you first got saved, this gift of faith by grace triumphs to the very end. This faith, which is from God, does not fail because God doesn't fail. That faith activates in your life and my life, my dear friend, when that faith has Jesus as the focus. Just like Peter, when he was walking on the water, could he naturally walk in the water? No, but it was Jesus, the same one who upholds the whole universe by the word of his mighty power that was holding the fishermen up on the waves of Galilee. You see, faith has the focus of Jesus. Faith starves for the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10. Oh, where does the time go? <laughs> My goodness, there, there was so much that we covered, but the clock is moving by very quickly. And next time we're going to wrap up in Hebrews chapter 6. And, and we're going to be talking about the basis of this triumphant faith. Oh, you are going to be so, so encouraged every time I look at this, every time I dig into it, and every time I even have the privilege of teaching it. The basis of our triumphant faith is God himself and his faithfulness. So don't miss the next episode in Daily in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we we are so amazed at this Wonderful, great salvation that is ours through Jesus Christ completely because of the perfection of who he is and the perfection of his finished work Father we thank you for that we thank you for this wonderful life that we have in Christ that goes all the way through all of eternity it is a life that is now it is that abundant life thank you father for what you've been teaching us through your word today and father i pray that you would continue to enlighten us by your holy spirit that we would see you more clearly that we would behold jesus the precious lamb of god the perfect savior the perfect son father above all we just thank you for your love Lord, we thank you that faith itself is according to grace, that it would be guaranteed to all of the heirs of salvation. Salvation is all of yours, Father, and we give you the glory and the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen.